The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. What does being typed out mean to you? Telling your own story. It's just really, truly being who you hey, are. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. And Labels this is my space. Categorize. So we can be identified and for that reason to be excluded. The way that we integrate people into society or do not. To literally write my name and leave my ink print in the world of stories to come. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and uh, I exist. This is the Typed Out, Typed out. Typed out. Typed out Podcast. It's Tuesday, which means another episode of your Typed Out Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am your host, Nick Polifrone. So every other week, the Typed Out Podcast aims to deliver conversations which seek to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. And in this episode, I'm chatting with Eliud Sepulveda, and we're diving a little bit further, uh, continuing the conversation that I had with Rachel Fu last episode um it just so happens that this interview was recorded several months ago and it is a continuation of the conversation around diversifying the stem careers or spaces so if you're just catching up with us that's the science tech engineering and math all right so here is my conversation with Eliud. i hope you enjoy and as always we love your rating review and especially your subscribe okay let's get to it my guest today is not only a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces, having served in the Army for seven years, but is also a graduate of Emory University, where he received his degree in biology. Following graduation, he moved to Texas to begin research in tuberculosis and consequently went on to enter the biotechnology field. Now, Eliud Sepulveda is working as a molecular biologist, protein engineer in Danbury, Connecticut. Eliud, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thanks for having me. I'm very, very excited to uh, start this conversation tonight. Yes, and I must address the fact that you are my first non-creative like field uh, person. So like Ooh. diving into the science and, and like um, going, I guess, more left-brained, as it were. I'm really excited to, to challenge that and see what is going on um, with the work that you're doing and then also finding so much more about you. So thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Oh, I appreciate it. I think thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity. Actually, I was thinking the same thing the first time uh, that I was approached by your uh, brother-in-law, correct? Yeah. Phil? Yep. He's Phil. My, he's my, Shout he's out to Phil. Thanks, Phil. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> so because usually you hear about oh, interviewing a podcast, it's like, uh, I'm not even like the, an artist, I'm not a musician, you know, because usually you hear that type of people are the one who get interviewed, but you don't get interviewed like scientists or, you know, engineers. Anyways. Yeah, no, we're here for all things and to talk about all the ways in which who we are shapes what we do. So, mm -hmm. but sounds good. Yeah. So uh, today's podcasts, as with all of our podcast episodes, are brought to you by audible.com and Elliot, do you have a recommendation for our listeners yes i do um actually recently i read this hilarious book called car sick uh by john waters the director yes 
Actually, Scar Seek John Waters Hitchhikes Across America. That's the whole title. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine where it goes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was hilarious, like I was trying to tell you earlier, because I was reading the reviews that, well, it might be kind of interesting, all those, like, you don't have nothing to do when you're in a road trip. Let me read about it. Yeah. I started reading one night and I couldn't stop. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was hilarious. Yeah, because it goes in this idea okay, I need to have this inspiration to write a book what i'm gonna do so he decides to hitchhike from baltimore where he's from to san francisco via route i-70 and it was like that's ridiculous you're not gonna survive yeah in the highway so he goes through these the best case scenarios worst case scenarios and at the end at the third part of the book it's like what really happened so he goes through the different characters so each chapter is the person who picks him up and then he starts saying, my best case scenario, uh, John. And then he said who John is. And he starts talking about John. Yeah. But he goes through so much amazing, hilarious things. You can imagine. Yeah. I mean, John Waters is hysterical. He cracks me up. Yes, so. he's hysterical. So you're looking for something very interesting to keep you awake and, <laughs> and laugh while you're in a, in a shorter road trip or even at home. Yeah. Just read that one. So Carsick by John Waters. So if you yes. would like to uh, listen to that book for free, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out, begin your Audible 30-day trial and listen along, as we said, for free. So Carsick yep. by John Waters, mm -hmm. as recommended by Eliud, and <laughs> you will be laughing and just enjoying everything crazy about John Waters. So um Eliud, I have my first question for you, and it is the question that I've been asking all of my recent guests, and that is, what does being typed out mean to you? Well, um, what I think about typed out is like when uh, I've been like labeled, mm -hmm. not just me, but some people being labeled or categorized as a certain stereotype. Yeah. And this is makes sense. But then, uh, so we can be identified by a certain type of figure or imagination or whatever and identify as such. And for that reason, to be excluded or not considered or heard uh, in matters that concern us. Yeah, it's, it's who we are when, you know, living on the outside of the margins as it were, and then also asking for representation in the room, you know, and not correct, correct. ask and not saying that like, or not leaving the choices and the legislature as it were up to mm -hmm. people who aren't us or representatives of the communities that we come from. So thank you. Exactly. All right. Well, Elliot, do you mind uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself and, and your journey to, to where you are and who you are today? How I came here to Denver, Connecticut. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I don't know, again, how much detail you want me to go into, but I mean... Dive away. It's your story. As you say, I was uh, born, and of course, raised for the first part of my life in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. uh, where I come from, uh, I'm the oldest of three. One brother in the middle, and then a baby sister. Then, uh, of course, I went to school. I was always... The what you call right now the nerd, always like, <laughs> yeah. I was always yes, like nerds. reading, yeah, yeah. Um, reading, looking for answers to questions that I have, and I found nature and biology and life itself like that kind of science part very interesting, yeah. 
And I always remember, like, when I was uh, growing up, you know, you had a little corner in the house when you want to play. I want to have my lab. I wasn't have, like, a castle or, like, a cowboy thing. No, I want my lab. And I was having, like, experiments and stuff like that. Yeah. So for some reason, I was always interested in that. Um, of course, when it was time for me to go to college and decide what I'm going to do with my life, I just jumped into biology. I didn't think about it. I just went into it. I got my degree in biology. And the next thing I know, I am deciding to go to the army. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell am I thinking about? Um, <laughs> of course, back then, yes, of course. Back then, it was actually for my uh, almost last semester. Uh, you know, I came from a not relatively poor family, but I mean, it was like a median class. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom was basically the one working. And for her to be able to afford what I had to spend in college, it was a little tough. So you could have the experience that the army is supposed to give to you. And of course, you had to join the army for that. Mm-hmm. And they can help you to pay for college. Yeah. And one of my best friends who I grew up with, he said, oh, have you thought about that? I said, are you kidding me? Have you ever think about me in the army? No. What the hell? This skinny guy there, gay Puerto Rican in the army, he's going to be shoot up. <laughs> that was my idea back in the army, because that's what you see. It's this prejudice against, of course, gay, because, oh, this is a man's world, not a gay world. Yeah. And back then, that was before the whole Bill Clinton policy of uh, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. So I was screwed back then, and then I was also a minority for being Hispanic, most of Puerto Rican. I mean, some Puerto Ricans, they get a reputation for whatever. And, you know, I was thinking all that stuff. No, I'm not going to make it there. But anyway, one thing led to another. Then I think I know I'm enlisting. <laughs> yeah. And enlisting meaning go to the Army and go to boot camp, uh, South Carolina, actually. Um, from there, I jumped to San Antonio, Texas to go into what was supposed to be my job back then, uh, preventive medicine, because it was something related to science again. Mm-hmm. From there, I stayed in there for, like I said, seven years. Then I decided to, what the heck, I have enough of this. I don't think I see myself making this as like a career for life. I decided to leave. And back then, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. At that moment, I was like, well, sh- should I go home, Puerto Rico, or should I stay here? At that moment, you know what? Most of my adult life, like I said, my adult life was here, outside of my house, yeah. um, of my family. So I decided to stay back, uh, make self something important. I already made something for me being in the Army. Um, and one thing that I forgot to mention, another reason for actually made me go into the army or decide to go, once I have something in mind, and then I was already too deep in the hole, actually, how am I going to get out of here? I don't want to get out. Yeah. I had, I had to prove myself. I had to prove my family. I had to prove my friends. I had to prove other people. If you can make it and you can do it here, why I can't? And like I said, I'm going to prove myself or some other people this tiny skinny puerto rican gay guy is gonna make it here okay yes honey <laughs> so i proved myself and others especially my freaking dad uh that yeah i don't have to be a complete macho man to do this right right and i did i mean and i did it exactly because like what is what is machoism like machoism doesn't mean anything when it comes to 
you know, showing up and doing the work that is asked of you. And if that's defending your country, then so be it. You know what I mean? Like we have women and, you know, non-gender conforming folks on the front lines doing it. And like, what, what does masculinity have to do with that? Nothing. Nothing. But that was the image back then. And it's still at some, uh, some levels, not just in the army, almost every phase of life that you can surround yourself with. Absolutely. Your family, work, friendship, you name it. Right. What was it like growing up gay in Puerto Rico? I imagine that it must have been, you know, just as it is in different pockets of the country, how it could be so different depending on where you come from, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, you're right. You're correct. Um, You can ask that question to a thousand people, so you might have a thousand different responses. Uh, Some similar, which is usually what happens. You find some similarities. Yeah. But anyway, to answer your question... um, well, uh, it wasn't all color, I mean, roses or pink colors or fireworks. Yeah. Well, some, sometimes I have some fireworks, so you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And those were good. No, uh, well, coming from a Hispanic, very macho, dominant society, actually, it wasn't easy. Like I said, I'm the first of three. Mm-hmm. being the man in the house you're supposed to be a man okay yeah so that was that was expected expected uh from you and uh, i think like uh, i think i was telling some of my friends parents know if they don't say no because they're in denial but most parents know when i think their kids is i think gay homophobic I mean, homosexual or whatever yeah uh, in my opinion. So I think my dad also was kind of, kind of rejected me for that. And I can tell, by the way, he was also, also, uh, talking to me, tweeting to me and stuff like that. So it wasn't easy sometimes, especially coming from my family. Um, and I think at that time it was like, what, early seventies. I mean, I thought I was the only one because I didn't know that many people that actually were like gay yeah even even that the word gay was not used that often at least when i was growing up but you always hear about the other oh the queer you know or the el pato which is a very derogatory word that we use back home in spanish pato means duck i don't know how one relates to the other (laughs) interesting but what they call it pato or pata if you're a female anyway so you always hear about how they called the other ones like that. So I was like, well, I don't want to be called like that. And trust me, I was called like that a lot. Yeah. If anybody knows the reason why that's the term that is used, let us know. Because I'm, I'm really curious. I want to know too. <laughs> and I'm Puerto Rican, trust me. And I've been hearing that word since I can remember. It's one of those words that when you hear it, it's just like you feel this knife in your heart. I mean, because they are identifying you as something so bad so negative so hideous or whatever that that just to hear that word is just like you feel so ashamed yeah hurt but i mean at the same time like wow i don't do anything wrong i think no you're not you are being you you are being the person that god if you believe in god created you to be you know exactly 
And you always grow up with that question. I mean, what I've been hated. I mean, why my father treated me this way? What I don't, well, I don't receive that kind of uh, the opposite support or love for. Oh, it's okay. There's nothing. Basically, you are a person. You don't have to be identified as the queer or the uh, pato. You know, the one that who lives next door, who likes the cocksucker, whatever. Yeah. And you don't feel that very often. Yeah. And that's how I was growing up. I mean, that kind of being bullied at school because you always have those who think that they're better than anybody else. And you have the gang of kids and they corner you in everywhere and start calling you the names to embarrass you, blah, blah, blah. So you have to start developing that kind of thick skin eventually because, I mean, it depends on the person, I guess. I was trying to be stronger than others, maybe, because I know some other people cannot take that kind of pressure and you know what happens sometimes people kill themselves and that's what happened because they cannot take that kind of treatment from anyone yeah some people are luckier than others that they can tolerate some of that and grow out of that but some people are very fragile and of course the people who's doing the bullying they're not thinking about that no but they should be i was just having a conversation recently with friends about how like you can't eliminate bullying like bullying will never go away it's like no the war on drugs or the war on terror like it's such an intangible thing that it's so hard to to make it completely go away all you can do is just build awareness around it and say that there are actual repercussions for the way that you treat people you know Mm -hmm. and Yes, some people can toughen up or thicken up or are able to persevere through the darkness of bullying. And, you know, unfortunately, as you mentioned, some are not. And it's it's so hard when you hear those words, the the terms and the constant ridicule from people about exactly who you are, you know, Mm -hmm. and the shame that comes with it, because. Like it's it's one thing to hear the words and be able to to sort of deflect them at one point, which I think in general, that is the journey for anybody who is marginalized and receives any sort of like microaggressions or just prejudice, you know, like where you begin to deflect it and say that like it doesn't what you say about me doesn't dictate who I am. It doesn't define who I am. But we Uh all know that that's a journey. That is a whole journey. And I mean, if anybody is able to to be there sooner than later, I mean, good on you. But that's not always the case. And unfortunately, sometimes the shame that comes from, from bullying can be so insurmountable that it doesn't end well, you know? It, does, it doesn't end well. And like you said, it's going to be hard to get rid of it. When actually when you were talking about it, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, some kind of like, make sense of the like anthropologist i think it's a very unfortunate innate in the human being it's like an animal thing with that because you can see some kind of behaviors in primates also mm-hmm. well we are primates you know what i mean like the apes and chimpanzees yeah um, you can see some kind of behavior like that when you are not like me you are different you get treated bad to the point sometimes they can kill you of course there are more animals than us but you can even see some kind of behavior. So it could be that it's in our genes that to be that unfortunate to explain that, that makes no sense. And it's a shame to be a scientist, but that's the only logic I can think about right now. If it's something genetics, it's in the genes. There are triggers in life that uh, make people to behave like that, Yeah, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that very well could be, but it's also like we also have the gift of 
consciousness, you know? And so we Mm -hmm. also have the moral ability to decide or hopefully come to terms with or the the awareness of what is right and what is wrong you know so it's like rather than absolutely acting out of instinct which thank you i love the fact that you're bringing some science into this because it is (laughs) it's great but it's like yeah i mean that's really what in the end separates us from animals is not the way that we act but the cognizance to know you know what's right or wrong what's right or wrong right exactly the morality or the the ethics of our behavior yeah please don't take me wrong i wasn't justifying that what people do is correct because it's just genetics no not at all but as you know it's just i was trying to find some kind of more deep in science justification or explain for that yeah because you see patterns like you say the lower primates and you see the same patterns unfortunately unfortunately on us yeah, and it's a shame because we should know be we should be able to learn and know that you know what's wrong, right or wrong, and what you're doing or saying to somebody is is bad, it's hurtful. Right. And actually, I was gonna add something else. I mean, I was lucky enough that I that I remember right now that I wasn't actually physically assaulted in any of these occasions, except for my dad. Okay, yeah, that's an exception right there, actually. But in school, it was just more of the verbal abuse. No, the physical abuse, okay? Yeah. Because maybe some other people might have gone through that, unfortunately. At, at least I was lucky that it wasn't like that for me. I don't even remember nobody hitting me or physically abusing me. It was just mainly the, the constant calling of names and trying to ashamed you and make you ridicule in front of other people. Right. Yeah, because when they were alone with you or in like an alley or something, their behavior sometimes was different. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Well, one-on-one, so, oh, you're going to say something now? No. No, because you're also another of those, like, you like guys, but don't want to admit it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Because most of those, yeah, that's what happens sometimes. And that's sometimes the fireworks might happen. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, yeah, I mean... Come to Jesus, my friend, like <laughs> with who you are. And please don't diminish the people who are, are able and capable to live their truth, you know, in that way. Yeah. Like don't demean somebody because they are a reflection of the person that you would like to be anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I hear true. you on that. So was there ever anything when you were serving in the military? Did you ever experience any discrimination there? Um. I mean, I know it was like, don't ask, don't tell, but. I imagine when you... You can ask me, I can tell you. Right, exactly. (laughs) But it's also like when you live with people, when you live in close proximity and close quarters for so long, (sighs) you run out of things to talk about, you know? Not that I recall, like, yes, I remember something. Maybe someone said something every now and then. But it was not like I experienced when I was back home. Yeah. No, definitely. I, again, maybe because... The field that I went to, even like I said, boot camp on the side, because in that part, everybody's treated the same. Mm-hmm. I got some few actually encounters there. Um, so, But I don't remember being bullied or accused of things just because of my preference. Yeah. Were you pleasantly surprised maybe in that? Because as you said earlier, and it, like you, <laughs> you have this, well, yeah, because you have this perception yes, of like the yes. military being so closed minded yes. in such a like, breeding ground for toxic masculinity if i may this is again this is another way in which there's a stereotype and it can be dispelled so 
were you pleasantly surprised in that way of finding that that wasn't necessarily your experience? It wasn't what I was expecting. That's correct. I was actually, now that you uh, asked me about yeah, I was kind of impressed about that because I was expecting the opposite. I was like, going to be, they're going to be going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, like I said, especially in basic training where everybody's treated the same and you have to be with the company of all these men. I'm not complaining about that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them may For, stink. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but you get used to that, I guess. Uh, after two and a half months, I mean, you are very close with these people. And uh, maybe I was one of those lucky ones. Yeah. Or maybe because I wasn't that flamboyant at that moment. I don't know. I never experienced nothing like it being haze or jump in the shower or something. Or they had to leave the shower because, oh, there comes a queer. Yeah. No, no, I don't remember having that experience, actually, which is very good. Good. I'm glad. Like I say, it was completely different because actually, surprisingly, that's when you see more guys, guys action sometimes. Yeah. And it's, again, the complete opposite of what you think the army should be. But you're having those little gay fantasies sometimes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I know. Raise your hand if you're guilty. Um, I am. Yeah, I'm over here raising my hand, too. Uh, <laughs> so after leaving the army, you... So, well, one, did you work in the medical field while... Or the science field while with oh, yes, the army? Oh, yes, yes. Uh... Yeah, I don't think I ever actually finished that part. Yes, when I was training as a preventive medicine, yes, I was working in a health clinic. So I was working with patients. Uh, preventive medicine training in different areas in, what, again, about 30, 13 weeks. Um, you go from industrial hygiene, you, you get taught how to do um, environmental science type uh, inspections, like for like public pools, uh, food inspections, you know, they train you different aspects, um, like bugs and stuff like that, like it's part zoology and identifying animals. So that part was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because then you had to go and teach classes. Like I was, I went to uh, West Point Academy right here in New York. Oh, wow. Yes. One summer. So I was uh, assigned to have a field class for the new cadets that coming from high school. And you see all these poor kids so scared. <laughs> and they said, what the hell am I doing here? So you have to train them in certain areas, how to be a soldier. And they have no idea. So I was spending a whole summer there doing training to that. But again, in neither of these places, I remember being having difficulties or issues just for being gay. Yeah. And no, actually not. And if it happened, maybe I was clueless. Yeah. It could happen, and I was clueless, and I was mistaken by something else. Yeah. Well, that's good. Again, I'm glad. You know, it's it, like I'm not trying to be like, ooh, I hope that you found discrimination, and like, let's talk about the torment. No, I'm like, it makes me happy to know that these spaces that we think of being as exclusive are actually more the opposite, you know, more inclusive, uh -huh. as it were, and supportive. So even if even if there are laws in place to to keep people from saying anything. But I would like to think that this sort of breaks that expectation or perception of what the military could be. And also, let me add to that, um, it also, it could be happening because of the field that I was. Yeah. Uh, science field or medical field, how they call it back then. Oh, you're in the medical field. Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, so it was more, again, open-minded. And of course, you had to have 
sort of kind of the same set of mind to be in that field. What I mean, that field versus, for example, be completely in a artillery or one of the other one, the kind of the grunts, the guy who actually are on the front fighting the enemy. Those are completely male units, and it's almost like clans, like a club, like a bunch of how can I call this? I describe like a like a football team. Yeah, you see this massive amount of guys, and they all belong to the same unit, and they that's what they do. They get trained to actually fight the enemy. Yeah. So now those units, maybe if I'm there, I could have a little bit more issues. It makes me think of the movie that Jake Gyllenhaal was in. Um where he was serving yes. in Desert Storm. I forget the name of it, but that's like immediately yes. what I was. Yes. Uh, yes. Jarhead. Jarhead. That's what, that's it. Yeah, Jarhead. Is Which that, I think exactly. is the Marine Corps. Um, yeah, it was Marines. Yeah. So, but that was immediately well, what I pictured in my head, like that scenario. I'm picturing, uh, yeah, I'm picturing right now without this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it PG-13. No. <laughs> I actually yeah, recently saw him in a, a play here in uh in new york and it was i used to have the biggest crush on jake gyllenhaal oh my god i still do really yeah he looks Mm -hmm. just the same as you might expect uh he's still very cute very handsome so very cool shout out to you jake if you're listening what's up (laughs) uh but so eliud after after leaving the army and then um now you're working in biotechnology like as a if i get this term correct molecular biologist protein engineer Protein engineering, Please yes. Please tell all of us, like myself, who don't really grasp what that means, what that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to explain that in the most basic English I can. Okay. Please, if you don't understand something, stop me and say, what are you talking about? I will. Um, okay. So basically, what I'm doing now on the big, big picture you always know about vaccinations and medications that you need to take against something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that has to start somewhere, of course. In our field, what we make is biotherapeutics. Therapeutics are going to be used, of course, in us humans. Mm-hmm. That's how they're going to start. So you have to pick a target. Perfect example that we have a lot of, I think, medications out there, uh, psoriasis. Everybody knows about psoriasis. You see the ads on TV, in magazines. And the most famous of all is Humera. Mm-hmm. I think anybody heard about Humera. So you hear those ads and whatever. But what is Humera? So it's a biotherapeutic. It's a, a big molecule because it's a protein. It's called IgG or immunoglobulin, which I think that's a word that we have heard before. Okay. Uh, immunoglobulin. So those are present in every living system. So we use a, a model, in this case, mice, and hopefully... Peter is not listening. <laughs> so we had to generate those antibodies from somewhere. So of course we had to use an antigen of a target that we selected, in this case psoriasis, to immunize animals. Of course the immune system respond creating antibodies against that, like it happened to us when we get sick. They see some a foreign substance in the body, the body's gonna react attacking it, making antibodies against it. So when the next time the body find that weird thing, it identifies that, oh, that's the one that we fought last month. I know how to attack you now. I have my bullets. So those bullets are the immunoglobulin. Mm. Okay? So basically, we immunize the animal. We recover those antibodies or immunoglobulin. So that now they are animal murine. And then we have to transfer or transform them 
to be more human-like. So when we introduce those in, into our system, our system doesn't recognize as a foreign substance and attack it. Because if we make an antibody against something, in this case the biotherapeutic, and the body recognizes something foreign and attacks, so what's the point? Okay? Yeah. So, so we have to make it to the point that it, it's more human-like. So it enters our body and it's supposed to do what it's supposed to do. In this case, block a, a reaction between a receptor in some cells with another protein. I want those two get together. It's like a synapsis. It makes uh, a cascade effect within the cells, to, like a message. Like a message. Mm. Okay, I attach to you and I want you to do this. And then the cells start make, making that message. In this case, is sometimes a foreign substance that we don't want, or, and they make us sick, or in the case of psoriasis, it would be like the cells respond to growth differently, mm -hmm. and it cannot be stopped. So we have to find a way to break or to stop that synapsis. That's what the antibody does. It's like a shield or lead that you put in, into the receptor, so there's no communication between the receptor and the protein that caused that effect. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So that stopped the infection, stopped the production of something that is causing making you sick. Uh, or in case of cancer, that we all know, cancer is basically a wrong message in the cell telling to grow, 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 right. but don't die. Right. And that's what happens with the tumor. Some are more invasive than others. So we have to find a way where inside the cell is a mechanism that is putting that. It's like if you're driving a car, you have your brake and your gas. Yeah. Okay. If you hit the, the brake, the car stops. In this case, in some cancers, when you put that brake, the cancer cells are not producing, are producing something to tell to the good cells, just keep growing. And then if you release that, break the gas, you release the brake, then there's another substance that blocks that. So you have to see how that interaction is happening to prevent from the cell growth. Yeah, that's fast. I was watching something recently. I want to say it was, there's this great uh, docu-series on Netflix mm -hmm. called uh, One Strange Rock. And it's, yes, I think it's, uh, it's a very good show. It's either produced by or directed by Darren Aronofsky, and it's eight astronauts that have like collected yes. thousand hours in space, and they were talking yes. about at one point it was like, well, how could you achieve immortality? Um, oh and they yes, were saying you, I remember that episode. Yeah, you'd have to get cells that uh, can replicate but not die, and they said mm -hmm. the only cells that can do that that we know of right now are cancer cells, which are cr yes. that's, that's crazy. It blows my mind to think about that, which is. Yeah, it's just the whole like science field and, and, you know, all the experiments that you go through in order to find a solution is, is remarkable. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Absolutely. So, and also one thing that connected me to you again through, mm -hmm. through Phil, my brother-in-law is I was doing some research around STEM careers, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, and just kind of seeing how diverse they are, which they're not. Um, based off of Go the ahead. information that I came across and anybody who would count as a diverse candidate, which we would say gender diversity, racial diversity, uh, sexual preference, ability mm -hmm. diversity, all like everything, truly everything, everything falls in the category of 47% of all of those, which is wow, kind of crazy and sad. 
And so like through your experience, Eliud, mm-hmm. I imagine like what are your thoughts as far as like having diverse scientists in the lab? Like how would that be so beneficial to the work that any scientist is conducting? Well, actually, we are diverse, but not by sexual preference. Huh. Uh, yes, actually, and I can speak for my group, especially because I cannot say that everywhere is the same. Yeah. Um, but at least um, in my group right now, and I've been working for BI for 11 years now. It's going to be 11 years in September. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this group grow. And they are very, I would say, cultural, racial, diverse. Yeah. Uh, but basically, everybody's straight but me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't help that, but that's okay. <laughs> you cannot help that. But you have to have at least one, okay? In every family, right? Yeah, that's right. It's true. <laughs> so I'm I'm the one in this family, okay? <laughs> but yeah, we are very diverse about, you know, different cultures, different backgrounds, backgrounds meaning different parts of this country. I mean, most of us, I think, there's only one person who's actually from Denbury. The rest of us come from different parts of the country and or different parts of the world. But overall, I think I know about three, four, four more mm-hmm. members of the church that are in my, at least my department. <laughs> members of the church. <laughs> members of the church. <laughs> so what, to your experience, how would you say that having a diverse group, especially like within the intimate group that you already work with, what is the value of having such diverse people around you when it comes to science? Well, when it comes to science, and I can apply it to any field, actually, it just makes you understand other people, meaning you know how to communicate, you hopefully learn how to communicate to other people. Yeah. Learn that maybe what you say, what you mean, what you believe about these cultures are not what it is. Take the time to figure out, or not to figure out, but to learn, actually. You don't have to figure out anything. You have to learn uh, this culture, why they believe in those things. And at least that's the way I see it. Yeah. Which it goes to the point that I like to travel because of the obvious reasons. You need to learn how to talk to the other person. Yeah. Understand their backgrounds. Don't be I mean, so negative about learning about their food, their culture, their language. Um, because it's not English. Because it's not white. Because it's, you know, it's not steak and potatoes. Yeah. It's not a burger. No. But, you know, have you ever tried this? No. What am I trying that? Because you need to get out of this bubble, man. I call I call it the bubble. You need to experience those things. And then as long as you keep it that bubble, all these people and places around you are going to be you believing things that they are not. Absolutely. And also where someone comes from and the life experience that they have uh, and the culture that they come from will mm-hmm. shape the way that they think. And especially when it comes to science, exactly. the way that somebody thinks will you know will help you break out of that bubble you know like Mm -hmm. if you're trying to solve a problem and you've got five out of six people all with the same background experience whether it's like i'm just going to call it out and say it's cis white straight male if those are five out of six and you have one person that's diversifying that group you're going up against five of very similar opinions and so when you have somebody that thinks differently that approaches life differently mm-hmm. you're you're more likely to find a different solution or come to a different absolutely. agreement as it were you know absolutely absolutely and so i would 
say that like in science, it's so critical to have diverse people around you because, you know, everything is about experimentation. It's about finding answers and, and it's a constant problem solving situation. And if you are only attacking a problem from one perspective, it just makes me think of this TED talk that I watched that says that the problem and the solution cannot exist on the same plane. Like they actually have to transcend one another or the the solution as it were needs to transcend the problem where mm-hmm. like if the problem occurs because you've got five of it out of six people approaching it the same way every time well obviously you're never going to find this solution because your approach is the same but when you begin to change the approach or shift the plane that you're on that's when you're more likely to encounter the solution exactly you have to start thinking outside the box a little bit and outside of that bubble actually yeah and um, accept the differences but actually while you were talking and saying those things i was going through my mind there's a poster we used to have a poster in one of my hallways that we made a few years ago and at the bottom of the poster it was like a representation of the earth the globe but it was made out of all the different colleges and cities that the whole department members came from mm. including their different specialties so in letters, they say, like, you know, molecular biologists, immunologists, um, oncologists, you know, different things like that, uh, cell tissue specialists, blah, blah, blah. And they say something like Puerto Rico, Canada. So if they incorporate all these different differences in this picture that looks like the world. Yeah. And it's basically telling how unified we are and we are accepting and embra- embracing. Is that correct? Word? Yeah. We're embracing all these different backgrounds and uh, cultures and, I guess, the differences. It's okay to be united like this. Yeah. Now now you were mentioned that I remember that picture in my head. I wish I had I'd kept that poster, but I think we threw it away. It was too old. <laughs> the, the information on the poster was out there. Yeah. That's why. The poster may not <laughs> remain, but the memory does. And the message exactly. lives on. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that your work environment is diverse and hopefully it is just setting the example for other um, science careers or STEM careers to to do the same and, and really value the difference of people and opinion. And That's um, Eliud, as we draw towards uh, the conclusion of our episode, do you have any words of encouragement for someone who is different and is thinking of pursuing or is pursuing a, a career path in science? You have to have a priority right here. Um, it's what you really like to do in life is in that field, regardless of science, math, engineering, technology. Um, is that what makes you happy and that you really want to do it? Go ahead not because you are different gender or different sexual preference or because you are male or female, which just happens basically every day. Yeah. And people say you can or you cannot have or you cannot or you cannot do or you cannot or you can't think that way. Um, as long as the actual real justification for that, if you just because they say because women don't think that way or men don't do those jobs or stuff like that, uh, no. Yeah. Because somebody somewhere has to break that mold, and that's what what happened. That's what we are right now. Yeah, and we need you. We need you to yes. to bring your love and your passion to to these career fields, and really, that's that's the most important thing. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. You ha- you have to be seen as 
your potential, what you bring into the field, what are the good you're going to do about it. No, because, oh, there's this black person or this Muslim or this Jewish or this gay or whatever yeah. the separation might be to do this. No, we come here, no, don't see me. Don't see me. See what I bring in, yeah. what I can do. Or see you and celebrate the person for who exactly. they are. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, no, thank you. where can we find more of you, your work? Um, do you have any social platforms that you're on that we could find you? Actually, I'm one of those few who actually don't have that many. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Gonna say, uh, yeah. How do you manage? <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I don't have is Instagram. And I don't do Twitter, of course. Yeah. Uh, but you can find me on LinkedIn.com. Okay. Uh, with my name, of course, Eliud, E-L-I-U-D, Sepulveda, S-E-P-U-L-V-E-D-A. And that will be the best way to find Perfect. Me. Excellent. And then also, again, for anyone who would like to check out Eliud's recommendation on Audible, uh, <laughs> it is Car Sick by John Waters. And even you just heard that chuckle. So apparently it is a very good oh book. Oh, my God. We don't remember that. Yeah. So if you would like to begin your 30-day trial with Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out and begin your 30-day trial for free and listen to Car Sick by John Waters. And as always, with any content that we release, your Rating and reviews are just so welcome, and please hit subscribe so that you are in the know every time Typed Out releases an episode, which is, again, now every other week. So, Eliud, thank you so much again, and uh, really just value the insight that you're bringing, and it's so nice to break into the non-creative stuff, as it were, and just see what's going on in all these different fields. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. That was that was uh, actually my pleasure and my honor to... Uh, be a little a little a little bit of something yes to make a difference yeah. hopefully well thank you again and uh, i have been your host nick polifrom this has been a typed out production and we will see you on tuesday in two weeks time all right thanks everyone bye-bye